you are just so fascinating to me. Thank you. So do you keep up with Bravo shows and stuff? I I have to a degree. Like I, um, I binge. I like, well, like I watch Potomac in two days, you know, to bring myself up. (laughs) I'll go like Beverly Hills. I love. And I, I always loved New York until like the last season. And I have to agree with Andy. Whoa. You know, like that last season just needed to go away. Yeah. And, um, but really, I never, I never watched the other. Yeah. Yeah. Like New Jersey, of course, I watched because it was the only one on television when they came to us and were trying to start in D.C. So I'm looking at New Jersey thinking, oh, my God, like, that's what they want me to do. <laughs> yeah, but then you still oh, did it. <laughs> yeah, because the. The direct the, the the production company were like every city's different. Yeah. You're gonna be able to like highlight your own city, be your own self. And I thought, well, you know, I have the ability to flip tables too, so maybe <laughs> this isn't the place for me. But I mean, I I just you know, I did like I said, I did get into trouble. A lot of it was off camera. I mean, yeah. people don't even understand how much drama happens off camera you know, and they end up, it's just, it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I, I loved doing television and I had different offers after, especially right after we were canceled, but nothing to me was vibrating. Yeah, Like it was just like, no, I'm not just going to go run, go do that. It was like, this has to vibrate real. This has to have, you know, meat and potatoes. It has to, it it really has to be able to go somewhere because the investment of your time and energy, it's it just isn't worth it if you don't feel that you're going to be able to get more than one season. Did you ever think that what happened and what went down was like, A, going to ever happen? And two, would just blow up? Like, it just- Well, you watch DC, right? Yeah. So- in when I was doing the Burkina Faso fashion show, right, I literally went to the security guards and showed Tark and Michaela's picture and said, if they come, we were at Union Station doing the show. I was like, if these two people show up, they're not allowed in because they're crashers. They had crashed the um, the Black Caucus dinner. Jason Baki talked about that in our show, how they were invited with them and had to go through the kitchen and that they were escorted out by security. So Kat and I were filming at a, you know, a restaurant, not, you know, not too far from them. So they met us and they were like, oh my God, we're so embarrassed. Like this happened. And then I said to everyone who would listen, they are cray cray. And if somebody doesn't get this under control, shit's gonna fly. Like the fact that they were able to crash the the Black Caucus dinner and it was literally three weeks later, they crashed the first state dinner for Obama. Just walked right through, just put on the right outfit, bring a camera crew. The camera crew had to stop, you know, like at a certain point. Right, I remember that outside. 
but nobody, the crazy thing is I had known these people for so many years and not her husband as much as I knew her. She was like, I, I really loved Michaela, but her husband was so cheesy and sleazy and you, you just knew he was a phony and he didn't ever, you know, like he worked with our models, didn't want to pay them. I had to get a lawyer. Hi. Yeah. So I said to Bravo, not just, I didn't really say it to Bravo. I said it to Half Yard Productions. I don't know why you have cast these people. I mean, I get the drama part, but you have no idea what you've just signed up for. But I didn't know that it would be something so grand as to break into the White House dinner and to have our show canceled because of the FBI and the CIA. And I don't think Bravo was legally allowed to come back to DC. And I'm just making that up. I mean, but that's, that's what it felt like. Like they signed off. We're like, okay, they had to give all their film. They had, we were like on hold. Our whole storylines all over the place changed. Like, Poor Mary Amons was getting ready to do a fashion show with, show with Layla Rose, with our models, and there was a charity involved. She didn't even, it didn't even make television. She ended up being one of those extra, you know, things they release on YouTube or something. I don't know, like extra footage. Right. So it changed everybody's story in that you always have a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And when you have like an, an explosion go off in your show, all of the, you know, the fallout was like, can we save ourselves? Holy. And it, it was too great. It was too much for Bravo. I mean, it's a reality show for God's sakes. They had to spend so much money, like oh fighting God. and proving. So I think they were like, I don't know. I'm happy at least it aired because they could have been like, this ain't yeah. going anywhere. What's the point? Yeah. You know, at least they didn't just take it and be like, let's just, we lost money. Let's just like scratch this mess. Right. But what ended up happening, which was great, Melissa, was because the silver lining was every week we had over a million viewers. And for the first season that was uncommon Ew. most of the time it was like half a million 750 we had a million to a million 500 people 500,000 people watching our show and I Those don't now think, don't even get that yeah so I don't Ew. think that it was all bad in that everybody in the world was talking about it. everybody everybody yeah. You were but like, so we're haters. You know, that's I the know. other thing about being on reality television. You have love and fans and great stuff, but then you have just downright haters. Totally. And I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't go to any of my social media. Like back then, Twitter had just started. We called it Twatter. You know, mm. Facebook and Instagram, Instagram, I don't think existed. Mm -hmm. Facebook was run by my publicist. Twitter, I had two imposters. So when they finally got me my name back, there goes all my followers because the season ended. And, you know, I mean, I still have like 13,000, but that's still. just, you know, that wasn't like what I had. But it's like, I never would read this stuff. 
until it was filtered. Right. So like if anybody ever asked me, what would you recommend if I'm doing a reality show? I'm like, don't read the social media. Let somebody filter that for you because if you're human, it's depressing. It's it hateful. At some point. It's it's awful. So, you know, I I I had one experience and then I turned it over to other people because it was like a woman. My tagline was um I give people enough rope to hang themselves and the smart people don't because that's truly like my reputation like I will give and give love love joy joy but if you fuck with me like you better move out of town because I am coming for you right my models I'm coming for you so I must have said that in filming because none of it was made up like they do now like where they come up with the best, you know, tech, right. That was something I had said, a mother called me and said, my son hung himself. How dare you? How dare Bravo have such a tagline? And, and I literally like my, I hit the ground. Like I was so disturbed by what she had told me. And I'm like, I called the producers. Oh my God, can we change it? What if other people are hanging themselves? Like, this is not, this is not a positive thing for me to have as a tagline. And they were like, nope, we're not changing it. Like anybody could be sensitive to anything we say. You just got to go with it. And so at that point, I just handed it off to my publicist and said, just send me the good stuff. Can you imagine nowadays though? No, no, I can't. I don't know how, I don't know how people do it. I mean, it's a lot. I know. Well, listen, I can only speak to what I know, but. Teresa has no idea what one comment is. Oh, good. Good. Well, because, you know, she's been doing it for so long and the amount of followers and everything that she already has on her plate. Plus she's like us, she has kids, she has, you know, she's had, you know, different things that have gone on in her life. It's like, who has time? Like they used to ask us to do a blog. Yeah, right. I remember. Before, it's like, I hope they're not doing, I mean, I spoke with Ashley from Potomac. I'm like, please tell me that's changed. Yeah. And she's like, a lot of things have changed. Like yeah. they're only filming three months versus four and you get a break between the upfront. So you're not like, so they've definitely become sensitive to what it takes to be a mom, a working woman, and somebody's friend, you know, like right. you've got to have some time to be all those people. I l- listen, this is what a dork I am. Not that you need to know what you've done, but <laughs> okay. You guys, I'm like being super dork right now. I don't know if I've ever actually done this. Of course I Google everybody in case I like missing something. Um, but okay. Linda, you were a freaking backup singer for candy. Yes. Okay. You guys, a backup singer, first of all. Then you went to James and Paula Foundation. Okay. Then, then we get to the housewives. And then your first employment, real employment, was with Tommy Hilfiger. Yes, I worked with him when I was 16 in retail. Because I said Elmira College. So yeah, I, he was he was from Elmira, one of like 14 kids and had a retail store. So this was prior to him even being a designer. So he had a little shop and 
He wasn't a name. No, it was called People's Place. And it was in Elmira, New York. And I had just moved up there for the summer to start school and I needed a job. And I went around and yeah, he had a partner named Larry and it was great. It was a, it was a really cool, it was the coolest shop in Elmira. And it even had a head shop in the upstairs. So way back then, this is like 1974, 1975. So you were just like, hey, I need a job. I can fold your clothes. What What were you, I mean, well, again, he was- I love, for your, yeah, I, I absolutely love fashion. And I, I, I've loved fashion since I was a kid and learned how to sew like with my grandmother. And I just, every- Every time I had an opportunity to work in the industry, I did. So, I mean, when you really look after I was a backup singer for Candy State, and which, by the way, that was a really tough life, like on the road for six months, I was worn out. I realized, you know, it has the same kind of issues that a lot of the industries do, which is, you know, sexual harassment and on and on and on. And so when I came back to DC after being on the road, I really was interested in focusing on the beauty fashion industry and went to cosmetology school like at night, worked during the day. I had like three jobs going. I was working for like the big discotheque in DC called Tramps as the hostess. I mean, it was crazy. I was just all over the place, just trying to find a way to direct this creative energy into something I could make a living. So I started THE Artist Agency 38 years ago. That's insanity. Yeah. But okay, but back up, how old were you when you were a backup singer? I was 18. And I was opening, like Candy had a triple platinum album called Young Hearts Run Free. And we were opening for Teddy Pendergrass. We had, you know, it was like Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes is where he had originally, you know, came out of that group. And then like Lionel Richie today, he was part of, um, oh my God, I can't even think of his group. But it was like the first time I ever went on stage, they had just released a song called Brick House. And, you know, I was just with all these superstars with Warner Brothers and lots of music festivals and concerts. And it just, you know, I realized I loved singing and I came off the road and I had a manager and they wrote songs for me and I was signed with RCA, but it just, it just wasn't, I didn't like the way it was aligning up, you know, for me, there was way too much sexual, sexual harassment. And I just thought, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I want to find a safe place where I'm in control. And, and the, I guess the terrible thing about that decision it was a great decision but the na- the naivete i had yeah. to believe that if i shifted out of that industry that i would leave the industry of you know creepy men the grossness of the <laughs> douchebags yes 
So I'm like, everywhere you go, there's everywhere. Yeah. You're like, oh, so, oh, nope, this side, this side, front of me, back of me. Like, where do you go? Right. So, you know, I, I just, you know, but by opening my own business meant that I didn't have a boss that was going to try to put his hands on my ass or like look down my shirt or, you know, it was just, it was, it was kind of a gross time in the seventies, eighties. And, you know, it just, you're 18. You're so, you're a baby. So young. Yeah. But when I started the agency, I was 26. So between the time I was a backup singer till I opened the agency I just, I really found a love for being an on-location stylist, doing hair and makeup. I didn't, I wasn't a wardrobe stylist. Like I would do that on occasion. If somebody said, we don't have a budget, then I would say, well, I'll, I'll do my best, but that's not what I do. So, I mean, I just, I found that even in our industry of beauty and fashion, and especially with models that you you need to be so much more than an agent. You need to be almost like a, a second mom, mom totally. where you're, you know, guiding them and teaching them. And, you know, that was a great thing about doing the housewives show was that people don't think of DC and fashion and beauty or advertising. Totally. It, they think of it as lawyers, lobbyists, and politics. Politics, totally. So, and there's a ton of that. And, you know, I love our city, but it really seriously needed representation for stylists and models. And, you know, it just, it worked out. It was, it was a gamble to open a business they all are felt out. strongly. Yeah. I mean, like when you started your podcast, it's like you look at it, you think what's missing. You come up with a middle, you know, right, a beginning totally. is your idea. And then how are you going to achieve it? And then hopefully there's never really an end to it. Totally. No, <laughs> but like, but that's interesting that you say you're why, if you knew, like you knew I want to be, this is where I want to be. Why didn't you say I'll go to New York? I went to New York. I originally wanted to go to Parsons School of Design. And when I went, it was during the time they were having the trash strike and it was violent and it was, you know, it, it was, it just wasn't, it didn't feel comfortable to me. I grew up in a military family. So we went from base to base when I lived as a civilian, I lived in South Georgia. So little teeny towns. And you know, I just, New York was too much for me. A lot. But DC. Small town girl. But, but then at the same time, you're like, we just talked about you being 18 going on the road for six months. Right. You know, it's crazy. It was What's brave. small town? I was brave. And I had nothing to lose. It was yeah, like, kind of like a, like I started college at Elmira and I, I hated it. Like, I felt like I'm a, I'm an adult and I no longer have to endure this pain of being dyslexic, you know, bad testing scores, feeling stupid and thinking where I feel charged, where I feel 
passion Passion. is in the creative world. And, you know, so I tried all kinds of things. And, you know, like when Tommy, we were talking about Tommy, he'll figure the first, like he pulls this check out of his little jacket and goes, look at this. I made $3,000 for designing a shirt with two pockets. And I'm like, well, Tommy, maybe you're onto something. So it was, you know, it, for him, it's the dopest story ever. Other yeah. than yours, like what you've done, but like, who yeah. has a story? You. Yeah. I, oh, way too many to count. But it's just that I think that things unfold organically for people that are really doing it for the right reasons. Right. You know, and I knew that the only time I felt like I was a success is when I would do someone's makeover. And they were like, this is beautiful. I feel so good about myself. And I I thought, wow, that's beautiful. You know, I want to share those gifts. I mean, even with Candy Staten, when we were on the road, I was like, let me do your makeup. And I wasn't even a a real makeup makeup artist at that point. You just liked it. Yeah. I just loved it. Yeah. So back to that, Tommy, you had no idea that it was going to become Tommy Hilfiger. Oh no. I mean, he was he was dating a a stylist in Ithaca and they ended up getting married and he continued on his journey from retail into the design world and I feel that he along with his brother Andy were incredibly talented in the you know, Andy was kind of the brother that brought in the hip hop. Right. And, you know, that created a whole nother following because a lot of what Tommy was doing was like, I just want to say similar to Ralph Lauren, but hipper and cooler. Right. But it was, yeah. So Andy kind of took it into like the hip hop direction and Yeah, it was very cool. And I saw, you know, because of being in the fashion industry, I'm a member of Fashion Group International. And so that and the CFDA awards and VH1, when I would go to New York, I would see Tommy. So it it was like we continued. In fact, when Georgetown Park did an expansion here in Georgetown, where our office is, we produced the runway show. Tommy Hilfiger opened a store in Georgetown Park and we selected him as our guest designer. So we did a huge show together with like, it was three stories high in Georgetown Park. It was a beautiful mall. And he and I walked the runway together at the end. It was like the coolest experience. It was amazing. But you never wanted to date? No, 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 no. I was like, I was so young. And no, he was, he was my, he was my, you know, I was his employee. I was a somebody unpacking boxes, steaming the clothes, putting them on the rack going, can you take this dress out of my future pay? Can you, you know, it was like I was working <laughs> I was working for clothes. You made no money. You just got your, you got your payment and dresses. That's right. I lived at home with my parents. So yeah, I, I just bought clothes. 
he better be sending you new clothes every <laughs> freaking day at this point. I mean, do you have you ever recently been like, hey, Tommy, remember when you were like shitting your pants because you just got a check for three grand? Yeah. You tell them um, that story. You know, we talk about how far we've come. Like, it's just like when we when he came to Georgetown for the show, it was like we just looked at each other and we're still super young, you know, like. And little starry eyes, like how blessed we had been to follow our dream and our passion and and end up, you know, full circle coming together, doing a big show. And yeah, I mean it, but we both have remained humble. See, that's the key. You didn't turn into yeah. an ass like yeah. most do. Because we worked so hard to get there, you know? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, even those like hustlers forget way quickly where they came from. Yeah. But you know what's even cooler about that? Look at you now. You're like, hey, you want to be one of my clients? Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, like, when I first opened the agency, I had $4,000 in my savings, I got a little 300 square foot office with a Bell Atlantic call waiting, you know, phone. I was doing the billing. You know, we had five people that were stylists that had no representation. And it was a wonderful opportunity to like create industry standards and build their book. And I mean, I would go to photo studios with portfolios, real ones, you know, now everything is digital. And I, sometimes I would leave like with tears because they'd say, you know, they'd look through the books really fast and go, thanks for coming. And I just thought, okay, I go back to the 300 square foot office and I like tears run down my face and it would just give me more and more chutzpah. I was like, I am not, I'm not backing away like this. I'm going to get better and better and better. So, you know, your failures, if you find the silver linings, are what mold you and and make you who you are and if who I am today. It, <laughs> most people, but I feel like this is the difference. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like, because I'm a crazy hustler too, like psycho. Right? Um, but I feel like unless you have it in you, those rejections are going to ultimately will what will be your demise right because you just don't have it i feel like you have it or you don't it's like athletic skills like you're a super baller or you're you work hard and you're okay but like right. kobe he was already born with something else than, right you know so i feel like it seems so natural you're like well, why would i give up you being an asshole is fueling my fire. Exactly. But I, I don't know. Maybe because you, like, we think, like, why wouldn't you get up? When you fall, you get up. Right. Like, I, I just I just said to my husband the other day, when we go on scooter rides with the kids, and they're four and five, and they're, like, flipping over their scooter, they're, like, sliding down, and I go up, and I'm, like, safe. And right. I'm sure people walking by are, like, what an ass. Like, she doesn't even give a shit about her kids, like, wiping out. Right. And I'm, like, are you, are you bleeding? Are your limbs still on? Good. Get up. Like, get up, get up. <laughs> but I feel like, I think this is why too, because I started, I knew you obviously from the show, 
But then I'm like diving in and I'm like, this right. woman has freaking done it. Like she's lived, not like just a, a lucky, you know, you did it. You toured, you, you know, co cosmetology, you gave up on school because you had issues learning. Right. Like that's just, that stuff is hard to find. I feel like. Well, I mean, maybe growing up in a military family, knowing that the only way I was going to achieve what I wanted was to find that path. You know what I mean? It totally. was like, I didn't really have a choice. It was like, if I wanted to be successful and sure I could have, you know, gotten married and, and I did get married and I did have kids and all of that stuff. Oh, but and I four never, by the way. Yeah, I never stopped working. When, when I had my fourth baby, people were like, are you going to, are you going to keep the agency? Are you going to continue to work? And I'm like, yes, of course I am. Like, it's a part of me. It's a part of what has been created, you know? And I just, I felt like if I were lucky enough to have four beautiful children and be able to do what I love, and I was really fortunate that after my second child, I hired a live-in nanny that stayed with me for 28 years. 28 game years. Game changer right there. I right mean, there. she she made it through two husbands, four kids. I mean, she and I were like, we were, we were joined at the ankle. Oh, you were a tag team. <laughs> but it's the game. But say ankle instead of the hip. Yeah, because it was like, I'm like, I know Tina. I'm your ball and chain, but I just, I mean, to this day, we're still in touch. She's retired and in Argentina, but it's game changer. You know, that's, that's everything to be able to come home and know that your kids have that same person and that same routine every totally. day. Yeah. But like, so you're so established, you have this vision. Why housewives then? So do you remember 9-11? Yes, vaguely. So it was, it was, it was horrific for many, many people, but it happened on the eve of fashion week. So it basically took fashion and my business, almost like what COVID did, but just, just erased fashion. It was kind of, you know, literally the eve of fashion week in New York, 9-11. So if it hadn't been for like Anna Wintour and Diane von Furstenberg getting together and creating throughout, you know, different cities, but mainly in New York, shop for a purpose. We're going to give 10% back to your favorite charity. And it worked. And, you know, we did it here in D.C. and they did it in Boston and Dallas and throughout. But that brought back after two years, though, the fashion industry. So we lost a lot of business. People were cutting rates. The models were like trying to move to other parts of the world to survive. And here comes Bravo. Knock, 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 you know, and it just, our business had never come back to the place that it had been prior to 9-11. And the producers that were negotiating my contract 
I was like, I've never, I've seen, you know, Top Chef or Project Runway right. was the first reality I had ever seen. So My I was husband like, sold that show, by the way. Really? How crazy. Is it? And Top Chef. Yeah. Wow. He's been in for a second. Yeah. Those are some oh my God. first big shows. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. But yeah. I mean, those were like, they're still, Top Chef is still like my favorite. So anyway, it was, you know, it was like, what, like, what, what grounds do I have here? Can I keep my family out of it until they feel safe? Um, is there, you know, like, anyway, it was creating boundaries and I think one of the biggest bummers, if you will, about only getting one season is that when you sign up to do a reality show, like I did, I signed up hoping that I would be able to promote in the second season, the James and Paula Coburn Foundation. I thought it would be great. You know, in the first season, I was able to promote the agency. I was able to, you know, promote the um, charity shows that we do, you know, St. Jude's and right. the Heart Association and so on. I mean, but you weren't really, we didn't get enough time for the characters to develop, right. for people to actually see what is this industry about? Like, because our industry is one of the top industries in the world. You know, the fashion industry is just billions and billions and trillions of dollars. And it's like, where does it start? Where does it end? What affects it? I mean, when COVID hit, same thing. We were, we were like in one of the best years of our lives and little by little, People are canceling the jobs. We have to cancel. We have to cancel. I was in Los Angeles because I had my office there for 20 years and was like, what is going on? I was in like a social media conference in San Diego and I was working out of my LA office. And I literally was one of the last people to get on the plane before they shut everything down. And, you know, so... What do I do? I'm like cleaning out storage units with my partner, Elizabeth. We're getting the building clean, you know, painted, all this stuff. And one of my dearest associates who had a big casting agency for 50 years calls up and says, Linda, I'm 77 years old. I want to sell central casting. Central casting? And I want you to buy it. And I'm like, what am I going to do with a casting agency? And she goes, I just know I'm not coming back from COVID. Like, I don't want to do it. I've done this for 50 years. So my publicist said, no, that's going to be a big mistake. Lawyers, everybody were like, no. But in my gut, in my gut, which I have a lot of conversations with the universe, you know? Totally. And I was like, Something feels right about this. I have had 9-11. Now, now, now we've experienced COVID. Business went to hell in a handbasket. So I was like, if we expand and buy central casting, then we can do feature films. Film continued. Our first film out of the gate after we merged our companies and we bought them was 
a, a journal for Jordan with Denzel Washington. And the last film we just did just came out called Ghosted with Chris Evans. So if we didn't have that opportunity to expand and Dagmar and I had been great, you know, associates for a long time, you like really respected each other. And we had always kept our word. Like I always promised her I would never open a casting division. So there you go. That see your word. Your word, being loyal, yeah. not being a douche. See that? Right. Thank you. Like good people can win. Yeah. So but that's go to buy that. Yeah. So we 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 worked out terms because I mean, I just looked at her and I'm like, you got to give me terms. Like I'm not. I have no business right now. It's like we don't know when business is coming back. Or if it's ever coming back. Right. I mean, at that time, I don't even know how it it just it was a double whammy, you know, 9-11, then COVID. But right. each each time that we had like a disaster in our industry in the long run, it just made us have to work harder, work smarter more contact with the client base. What do you need? Like to the clients, what do the models need? What do the stylists need? And now we have, you know, over 4,000 actors. So it's, but it was a silver lining. It, it really allowed our industry to kind of join forces. And if you look at the way the industry is being operated, most of the jobs that we do used to be print. You know, maybe they had a billboard or a poster or packaging like point of purchase, but now they want our models to do non-speaking roles. Like all the models that were booked for ghosted should have been actors, right? But they said, well, this is going to be a scene at the Kennedy Center and we really want just beautiful people. And so... Again, it just proved the point that casting and modeling are becoming one. Totally. Yeah. That is, and look, and because you listened to your gut, right? You had all the professionals trying to steer you otherwise, but you know, you got that punch in the gut to say, okay, this is maybe smart. Yeah. Well, I understand why the legal forces say what they say, because they don't want to be responsible for guiding you right in the wrong direction. We're five, six, seven months into COVID lasted three years. You know what I mean? And so it gave us an opportunity to, to learn the industry because I know models inside and out stylist inside and out, but I can't even pretend to know what it was like to, you know, work with casting directors and providing principles and things for clients. So we had to have, we had to hire a casting director and, you know, but I loved learning. It's a whole new thing, but it's very similar. I mean, basically the rules still apply, which is be kind, be professional, you know, learn your craft and, just keep marching. <laughs> you just got to keep going. 
So you knew though, you were like, listen, at least if I'm doing this crazy show, I can talk, get my business out there. This is free marketing. Right. And I have to tell you, like even, and I know there are a lot of people who are like, how could you do housewives? And I'm like, every housewife franchise is different mm -hmm. and you make it your own, you know? And we had crazies, of course, you know? Every we city has the crazies. So- I mean, if you just are your authentic self and I mean, I got into trouble, like my mom was still alive back then. And she was like, Linda Ann, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're in trouble when the middle name comes out, by the way, my middle name is Ann too. Oh my God. How wild. That is so wild. When, yes. So when you hear, when I'm like Melissa Ann, I'm like, oh shit, what did I do? I know. So I went, mom, I know, I know. But I mean, did you see what I was dealing with? <laughs> what so, did you see? <laughs> I had every right to drink too much scotch that night. <laughs> they overserved me. It was not my fault. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it was it was such a trip to to do it because. I don't know how much you know. I mean, you probably know a lot because you've interviewed a lot of housewives and people that are part of Bravo, but it's like, they are such a well-oiled machine. Like it was, I felt like helicopters landed, cameras, you know, came from everywhere, followed us for four months. And I was just, when we did the upfronts, I was completely blown away by how organized. I mean, they're just, they really know how to promote a new show. And so, that was back then. Can you imagine? I mean, oh look my how, God. Was it 2009? No. God only, thir like 13 years ago. Oh, yeah. 10, yeah. Oh, my God. So, you know, having that kind of an experience was pretty cool. I mean, I mean, they, they were amazing. And Andy, I love him. Aww. I love him. Like he is just, you know, um, when he invited me to come on Watch What Happens Live, I was doing an event for the James and Paula Coburn Foundation in LA for Operation Smile. So I said, Andy, I can't come on Watch What Happens Live. I'm going to be in LA and I'm hosting like two tables and he, he got, you know, he got, a, you know, I was like, well, can I do next week? He goes, no. So, you know, I was like, okay, all right. No, no watch what happens live. Meanwhile, I think he was doing it like twice a week back then. And I said, Andy, you need a show five days a week. You've got to like, you've really got to, you know, as an agent, I'm telling you, you've got what it takes to like create an ongoing show. Like this is, a, you have so you much. Step content. it up, baby. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of it. But anyway, I, even though I never went on his show, it was like, I that. always loved him. But the irony of that night at Operation Smile was that one of the uh, awards went to the vice president of NBC, like recognition for her son having a cleft palate. And like, you know, how them being in the US and it was easier to take care of, but they were there supporting. So it was kind of a wild evening altogether, but 
to then I of course met her and I was like, oh my God, you know, Andy Cohen's like super upset with me tonight because I'm supposed to be on his show. But if he were here, he'd understand how you can't just cancel it you know, Operation Smile event that's only once a year. So- And by the way, it was given to an NBC person. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know that at the time. Like, oh, you know, because the I had been going to this show annually for at least 10 years and it was their biggest gala. And we just always had, you know, our family- also has a foundation. So our family had one table, the Urkelesian Family Foundation, and then the JPCF had another table. And it was just, you know, everybody was coming from out of town. And anyway, I still love and adore Andy. That's, have you ever talked to him and been like, remember when I kind of told you you should do a, a show five days a week instead of two? Well, I've never said I told you so, but I have, I mean, I got a big giant hug from him about a year and a half ago. He came when he did, he now has a new book that just got released, yeah. but it was his, it was the book before the one yeah, that's coming yeah, yeah, out right. now. And he was at Sixth and I, and Mary Amons and I contacted his PR people. And so they had a front row of VIP seats for us. And he acknowledges uh -huh. the crowd and then afterwards came over and he just gave me the biggest hug. And I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm sure he feels so bad for us because we put so much into the show and then not being able to continue our storylines because of, you know, the White House crashers. It just, you know, I think he feels it, you know, and after all these years of developing new shows and everything that he's gone through as well, you know, we've, we just all continue to grow and expand our horizons. Do you but, ever yeah. talk to him about coming back? You know, look at Miami. They were gone for what, five years or something? Have you, you know, ever sat down and been like, when are we coming back? Like we needed a break. I get it. But. Well, we did a 10-year reunion, um, like, promotions. Like, the publicist at Bravo set all of us, like, here's what we want you to do. And we want you to film where you are today. And we want you to, you know, bring us up to date. And then we did, like, little sound bites of 30-second commercials. And I think that because Potomac Housewives yeah. became so successful that they were like, are we, are we going to like take away from that to focus on DC? Right. So I'm making all this up. You're in my you know, you, but your neighbors, but even they, like I've read a million things about it and it makes sense too, because it's like, you're right. But like, that's, you guys are all one, right? There's, there's, well, there's Beverly Hills in DC. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, Beverly Hills and OC, but there's some distance, you know? Right. But there's a lot, like the Potomac girls I love, I think they're fabulous, but it is not DC. It's not DC. DC right. is so different. And believe me, I had a home in Potomac. It's like horse country. And Very I'm not different. even sure they live in Potomac. But it's like nothing bad. They're all terrific. And they've, they've done great things, but
but it's not DC. Mm -hmm. So I feel that with the election and with just everything that's happening, that this is the most powerful city in the world, the world. And if the buck stops here, it starts here. Totally. It's, you know, so yeah, I think, you know, there will be shows coming out of DC. I can't imagine that people aren't going to, to see the difference. I can't, it's just shocking that they, you know, you guys were so good. Thank you. And I just can't believe that they thought, well, maybe we can pick it up with like this Potomac thing. I, I don't know. So no, but the, yeah, like some, if you, if I tell people what I do, inevitably it's the phones come out. I want you to look at my daughter. I know. My son's like, you know what? So especially here in LA, I didn't get that, you know, you because didn't? Oh, no, because everybody, because I mean, it's everybody. Because I, I yeah. was there for different reasons. You know, I was there for my friends, for the foundation, for James Coburn. And, you know, I have to show you because I'm so oh, proud of this. This is his bio that we finally, I swear to you, boxes and boxes and boxes and photos. And it's a little sad story because my best friend was married to James Coburn and she was from this area. She lived in McLean. Well, she was from Ohio, like you. It was fabulous. Came to DC and really wanted to be an actress, but she fell in love. And so, but you know, the guy just wouldn't ask her to marry him. And she and I were friends and she's like, what do you think if I go to LA? And I'm like, I'd get the hell out of here. If you really want to be an actress That's and he doesn't go. want to marry you, just get the hell out of here. Bye. So she goes to LA within four months, she meets James Coburn and she is like the coolest lady. She's like into music and she's studying like while she's studying her acting, she's a DJ. And anyway, he fell madly in love with her and he married her. He loved her so much. I mean, it was just beautiful. So when he passed away, she was, you know, he was in the midst of doing his biography and all this stuff. And so she like took over the task. A year after his death, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Oh. And she was like so young. She was like in her early 40s. And so we had literally, they told her six weeks to get everything in order, but we ended up having six months, which was like one of the most beautiful times of our lives. I mean, it was so sad, but she was like, you've got to be the trustee. You've got to like, make sure Jim's legacy continues. Like, I'm going to put the money in a foundation, like, please keep up his legacy. I mean, like she lived and and died you know what I mean like For she him. just it was That's like she love. just wanted his legacy so I was like her best friend going oh I promise you I promise you you know I'm like you're so lucky now this sounds terrible but I'm like because she I was her executor she was my executor I'm like if the tables were turned you'd have to run T H E 
and raise four children. I'm like, yeah. so, but we, you know, when you know what's happening, you get that opportunity to like have really special, special moments. And so we put together, like she had a list of beneficiaries stuck completely to her beneficiaries and, you know, every, they were mostly in LA. So I had no idea when she passed because I was so, you know, heartbroken about losing my best friend that I didn't know what that was going to entail. And it, it took me, you know, almost two years to just unpack all the baggage of, oh my God, I've got to do James Coburn's biography. I've got to make sure all these beneficiaries like get something, you know, to the point where they acknowledge, you know, the foundation and like LACMA and the LA Phil and Operation Smile. And also, you know, KCET television, we would do their cinema series every year and show James Coburn's film along with all these other new films. Do you know Pete Hammond out there from Deadline? I'm sure my my husband runs all the sports for WME, but he started okay. non-scripted. Okay. A, a thousand percent he does. A thousand. Yeah. So Pete Hammond like was the host of the, oh, the host. Yes. Yes. Cinema yes. series. Yes. For so sure. I was, yeah. So, I mean, so what I did in LA was so refreshing. Like even my friend out there who has an agency called special artists, she goes, you should move out here. You should open your agency here. And I was like, I feel that would be like, I felt like I'd be cheating. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Totally it was like, oh, I'm here for the foundation. Like if I started working as an agent, then, you know, yeah. it blurs, it blurs the line. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Do you, do you have a place out here though to do things? Like a, a, no, I did for a long time. My last apartment was off of Wilshire, like 10, 700 Wilshire. And before that I was on North Crescent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, mean, I loved it. It just, I loved LA. LA touched something in me that DC can't, but DC is always a better place for me in business because I'm so unique yeah. to what I do. And in LA, there's uh -huh. so everyone you meet. I'm a producer. I'm an actor. I'm a producer. I, I'm an actor. Exactly. So I get to be the big fish in the right. little pond here. And there, you know, being an executive director of a foundation, you know, it was like, oh my God, of course, we want you to come to this event and that event and always, you know, promoting them because that was, that was my heart. And like so. you said, you have to stick with what you think. Right. Like, does it make sense to be out here? Maybe with what you're doing, but then yeah. what's your gut say? And clearly your gut has not right. steered you in the wrong direction very many times. You know what, why you are saying that, you know, it's crazy. I was thinking about my husband had Kobe like as, as, as one of his clients for seven, eight, for a while, a long time since up until his passing. And he had so much, like they were so close mm. and he's like, but I can't stop now. Like I need to finish this for Kobe. I need to finish this for Kobe. Right. And then 
like the wife Vanessa took over and she didn't know any of this stuff. Like, right. Kobe did it. Kobe was like the one man show. What but, it, oh. but I feel like that's the same thing. It's it, as heartbreaking as it is. Right. You're just living them and breathing them and they're not here. It's like, there's something, mm -hmm. you know, I get it. I get it. You know, what's what I think also is it was, I feel like when we're born, we're born, we bring our skills and we bring our character, but it's our job if we want to expand who we are to build our toolbox, right? So it's almost like every time I had an opportunity to build my, fill my toolbox with something else, I was like, I can do that. Sure. I mean, at the time that all that happened, the agency, top agency in DC, we were making tons of money. Everything was going great. You know, like I said, you don't know when things are going to happen right. and you have to be, you have to be ready, but it's like running the foundation as an executive director taught me so many things, but my business acumen is what allowed me to be a success out there. Oh, wow. Like you go to the motion picture television fund, they've got the most gorgeous wellness garden because she was an avid gardener. He was like, you know, he played the gong right. like on Johnny Carson and all that. So we have a big gong and it's the retirement center of actors and producers and directors out there. Have you ever been to the motion picture I, television? I mean, I know fund? exactly what you're talking about. I've just never been. And oh again, I'm sure my husband has, but yeah. I've heard it's just awesome. It's incredible. So we built a garden out there in memory oh. of Paula and Jim. So yeah, it's- How long ago was all this? Um, if you go to the James and Paula Coburn Foundation website, It'll bring up all the beneficiaries and you'll see a picture of the garden. But I want to say up until, well, till COVID happened, I was out there 10 days a month. Wow. So, and I just, it's crazy. I'm going back the end of July, but I'm, you know, it was everything. I mean, we have business managers out there. And so, oh yeah, we have yeah, business yeah. managers, the accountants, the lawyers, the whole team that were always the team for James Coburn. So they continued. I was just kind of the face and, and creating the relationships and what wall should we be on and how much is that going to cost for us to build the garden and what are we going to do over here? Amazing. So like, yeah, but I mean, when I would come home to DC and I was always inspired though, by everything I saw in LA, always inspired to like, when you go to New York, you get inspired, you know, totally. totally. It's, it's no, so I like, much. I mean, I, I like it here for sure. Yeah. I get what it is though. And I yeah. think that's the difference before right. I was like, I didn't get the game. And now just again, by experiences, right? Mm -hmm. The casting couch and like you learn, right. you know, your way. And now I get it more. Right. Um, but I love DC. I loved it. Well, I mean, I understand, you know, like that LA also has changed a great deal since COVID. Like people yeah. are telling me, well, so is DC. I mean, I think everything changed, but 
at the same time, I think we became stronger and better. And it's, you know, coming back to LA, I mean, we're not doing the big events. Right. You know, LACMA did do their Art Plus film that I had been to every year until this year. And Gucci sponsors it. So on one hand, their clients here in DC and they're sponsoring the event. I mean, it's it it was, pardon me, it was, it was like being Sybil sometimes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Where you're living different lives, but they kept crossing over. But I, I really, I love DC. It's, I've been here since 1975 and it's just, it's always home, but I, I love traveling. You know, I was, I was so excited to have you on. And then I was like, oh my God, I want to know everything about DC. Right. And then I'm really like a lunatic, really getting into Google on you. Right. And I'm like thinking of writing stuff down, writing stuff down, your resume, you know, like who, who, what a dork I'm sitting here reading your resume. <laughs> I mean, I, but, I, then I was like, I don't even, at this point, I don't even care. I mean, I care about Real Housewives right. DC because it's dope and it's different and like crazy right. stuff happened. But then I was like, no, 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 no. Like you, which is funny because I do a, another podcast with Teresa from Real Housewives New Jersey. And the whole point is like, why did you guys start a park podcast? And it's like, because the housewives is just like this much of her. Right. Exactly. It's everything else. Right. You know, like you don't know. And that's when I was like, but a lot of these people, like their whole being is this show. Housewives. Yeah. Right. So Super I don't get excited to like dive into like you did this and you did this and you know, because right. I'm the same way. Like I'm just like more outspoken and a lunatic than you, but I feel like mm -hmm. I'm very similar. I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. Do you want to start a podcast? Never listened to a podcast in my life? Sure, let's go do it. Like, it's sure. so funny. You know? I mean, I see your, I see your passion. Like I was looking at other things you had done and I, and it's like, oh, I can't wait to meet you because I'm such a women's advocate. You know, I love being a woman owned company. Everyone in our agency is a woman. Amazing. It's like, we, I mean, we've had guys work with us but they don't make it. They don't They're, get it. You know, they just, they don't have what it takes. They're like, what do you mean I have to work? Men are dummies. <laughs> There's a reason why we are pregnant. We right. push the things out of our vagina. They can't it, handle, my husband gets a paper cut and it's like his whole limb is like falling off. I'm like, I can't. Oh my gosh. I can't. But how, you know, it's like, so I really, I mean, when I see women that you know, recognize something that they have a desire for or a passion and go for it. I mean, I love to go and speak at the universities around here about being an entrepreneur. And I hope to inspire, you know, especially women to like move, you know, like move into the comfortable space called your passion, but also be ready for all the uncomfortable things that are going to hit you sideways right. and you're going to have to keep picking yourself up. But we all know at the end of the day, if we don't follow our instincts that we're going to suffer for it. Right. You know, it's funny because I, I don't think I could ever go back into an office again and mm -hmm. work for, I mean, I could work for somebody else if it was like right. dope and I was passionate about it, but I'm the same way. Like I started a baked goods business by accident 
And then I was like selling in Whole Foods and Delta Airlines and this and that. Oh my gosh. And then during COVID, I always have been into healthy eating and working out. I actually found a uh, Stanford Med nutrition get your like do, to get become a nutritionist and it was wow. like two three year course condensed into eight weeks so about kicked my ass and at that time I had like a four three and two year old like young they were younger but I'm just that's why I was like well, wow researching about you and I'm like this is well, my know, jam I I love that it's that's another part of like my industry is nutrition, health, you know, like the whole eating disorder thing that happened. Like when I was growing up, the first person I ever knew or ever heard the word eating disorder was Karen Carpenter. You're like, never. And then it got to a point where you could, you know, so it's important, I think, like to always discuss with the models, like if this is how God made you. If this is your body, you know, now if you're eating a bunch of cupcakes, you better get off your ass and start, you know, like working. But if you eat healthy and you keep, you know, a certain amount of calories, like usually it's 1300, I think is healthy for them, whatever. But it's like, if they're working out and they're being healthy, their skin looks great, their hair looks great, their nails look great. So we have to, you know, but we have to be so careful about how we're advising the models because they want it so bad, they would starve for it. Do anything. Yeah. So you've got, you know, it's like, no, I can see in your, your skin tone is changing. Like your hair is falling out. Like you better start eating better. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, and, and it's like, and now though, every little thing you say or do, it's like, it's so it's, it's all, it's, we've gotten to a point and I think, and it's not just my industry, but I mean, I've had people go off on Google and Yelp and whatever, because I released them as a model mainly because they just didn't test well, or I didn't think it was worth it for them to go on and invest more money. Or clearly they were just assholes that are going on Yelp and writing it back. And and I'm like, okay, you know, that's what happens when you, you tell the truth, but you really can't be as open in the old days. I could say to somebody, you have a great face. You should get your nose done. You know, I haven't said you should get your nose done in 20 years. Because it's like, nope, you're beautiful just the way you are. But now, you know, it's like the fashion designers still want a zero two. So we've got to measure the hips. And if somebody comes in and they're beautiful and their hips are a 38, I'm like, are you doing the Stairmaster? Are you running? Are you volleyball? You know, are you playing? Right. Like narrowing it down to say, do Pilates, do yoga, be mindful of the exercises. So it's- yeah, just everything. You can't. I can't like, say you got to lose two inches on your hip. <laughs> could you imagine? I, yeah, you can't. You can't. You know. So you have to be super careful with everything you do and everything you say. And little by little, you can personally get to know the people that you represent. But in the beginning, it's like it's the main thing that I hope to accomplish other than, you know, introducing them to our great clients that we have created over the years is 
to keep them out of these dangerous situations like human trafficking and, you know, being like stalked on Instagram and they're stupid and they go to a hotel and you're like, you know, so it's, it's trying to avoid the, I, I have something that I send out and all my no letters, not my yes letter, but my no letters to people. And it says, beware and be aware. Because I want them to know about the scams. And if we're saying no to you, there's a reason. Right. Like you're five, six, you know, and you're not going to fit the clothes. Right. Or, you know, because you can't talk to them each individually. So every no letter comes with beware and be aware. That's cool. It's so crazy. You know, what was interesting is I was fortunate to be somebody that already had been in business for years and I had a real job. Right. So when we were canceled, I, you know, was already back to work because I never stopped working. You know, most of what they film was me at work. And I, but I really felt horrible for the people who were depending on a second season that, I mean, would I have loved a second, third, you know, 10, 11, 12? Yes, because so much happened. So many amazing things happened in that decade. But it was, I think, the hardest on people who don't have anything to fall back on. It For sure. Like, this is their everything. Exactly. Especially and women. Your ego, too. Oh. Like, there's something that, I mean, I've never had so much attention in my life. I had never. And we had one season. And I can still go places. And they're like, oh, you were on Housewives. And I'm thinking, I mean, it's so cute. And I think, wow, super fans. I mean, Bravo builds super fans. For sure. A thousand percent. Yeah. Would you do it again? Would you go back now? I would do a different show. I would love to do a show, but I would love to do a show that was really focusing on my industry and what I do. And, you know, models have kind of crazy lives and the stylists have crazy lives and the actors have crazy lives. So it's like, there's a, it's kind of a Vanderpump rules situation, right. totally. you know, totally. in that they're young, I'm older. I just want to be the queen bee. <laughs> you want to just have your drink and sip it and watch your minions. Where's my rosé all day. <laughs> so much for listening to side piece. Make sure to follow on Instagram with the handle at Sidepiece Show. That's at S-I-D-E-P-I-E-C-E-S-H-O-W, at Sidepiece Show. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe.